Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. Amidst um, all, so, all the stuff that's going on, we're doing good, oh, aren't man, we? man, you know, Christmas just ended here yesterday, so the last... <clears> uh, the last guest, the last house guest just left yesterday and kids went back to school yesterday. Okay. So um, other than I still need to put Christmas back in the attic where, you know, for most of the year it belongs. Sure. Uh, other than that, I'm, I'm really feeling like I'm, hey, I'm into the new year or we're hitting our stride. Um, yeah. You know, there's news headlines every day that are disturbing and there are news headlines every day that are edifying and encouraging. Um, and around the world, there are signs of revival in, uh, you know, in so many places. And so... Um, I take it as it comes. Well, and that's your prediction. That's your prediction for 2020, right? Revival. Revival. Yeah, Revival. Absolutely. Right. absolutely. So I'm, I'm with you on that. So I love that. Okay. So um, one place where uh, revival, spiritual revival took place, but, um, but the institutional reality uh, of a political system was already in, in sort of its death throes. And so I'm I'm talking about the year AD 30, in this case, the, the year AD 33. So we're talking about basically the year Jesus was crucified. Yes. And, um, and we know that the Romans were in power at the time and, um, and that the place where Jesus lived, which was Israel, and then specifically Jerusalem, um, in terms of the, the hot events of Holy Week, um, this is a place where Romans rule, but Romans govern uh, in no small measure through um, a network of people who are um, subservient to them, aligned to them. It's an, it's an interesting mix of, um, of of governance. But Rome was in a financial crisis, the Roman Empire. So talk with us a little bit about what was going on in what we call the first century, but for Rome— um, you know, it was it was the question of whether or not they were going to survive. Sure. So Tiberius is the king at the time. He has self-exiled himself away from Rome on the island of Capri. OK, he's not really a politician. He's just not built for that kind of thing. And yet he finds himself as king. So uh, certain historians describe him as having mailing it in, you know, mail in his his uh, decisions and his leadership, which really doesn't work. Uh, because of his absence, the Senate is aimless, the Senate is headless, it's acting in a confused and a coherent way, and there are government jobs available to these senators that if they can get the king's approval, that they can get into more higher-paying jobs and more prestigious jobs other than being in the Senate. And so what they do is they start to fight amongst themselves. Uh, and as part of their quest to get to the top, a few of these senators look way back in the archives of the laws, and they find laws that are 100 years old, which were still legal and still on the books. And the law stipulated two things. Number one, that you couldn't lend at interest to another Roman. And number two, that their land portfolios had to be heavily weighted uh, with land that was in Italy. So for those... Uh, so. So the senators started to take each other to court based on these two laws in the hopes of bringing down their opponent so that they could elevate themselves and get some of these better and more prestigious jobs. As a result of the sudden enforcement of these two laws, which had not been enforced for decades, Rome found themselves on the brink of a financial panic in A.D. 33. So that kind of sets up our, our conversation this morning. Okay. So... First, when we talk about the Roman Senate, um, 
you know, I think when we use the word Senate, people, you know, immediately they just imagine that we're talking about the Senate of the United States of America. So let me right. just be clear here. Uh, Bill English and I are talking about Rome. We're talking about the Roman Empire. We're talking about Tiberius Caesar. We're talking about the Senate uh, in Rome and the way that the politicians of that day used the laws of the day to take one another to court in a very partisan manner, um, seeking to obliterate their opponents. And what they did instead was actually uh, take their not only their nation, but their empire to the brink of financial ruin. Correct. And there was a... So, yeah, go yeah ahead. talk about the, well, talk about the domino effect, because, you know, there's uh, things have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Actions have consequences. <laughs> Taking people to court has consequences, yes, not just does. financial, but <laughs> relational. So talk about the domino effect here. Well, first, the banks, uh, because they found out that they couldn't be lending uh, and g- getting interest on it, they uh, foreclosed on all their loans immediately and demanded that they be paid back immediately because they needed to become in compliant with the law and they have been charging interest so they wanted to foreclose on the loans get those loans off the books that were violating the law and that was the only way that they knew to stay in compliance with those very old laws secondly the people who owed the banks the money had invested the money that they had borrowed from the banks they had invested it in land so in order to pay back the banks they had to sell the land and so you got all these people suddenly throwing the land onto the market at the same time. The land devalues. Uh, they get less money than what they normally would have received. They give it back to the bank, but they themselves become ruined because in most of those cases, they were not able to pay back the entire loan because the value of the land had dropped so much by the time that they were able to sell it. Uh, thirdly, rich people had loaned money to the banks. So, you know, banks just don't exist in a vacuum back then. Uh, They had to have funding from um, uh, rich people. The rich people who loaned the money to the banks now needed the banks to pay them back because they also couldn't be loaning at an interest rate. And so um, they, um, the banks essentially uh, were able to get those rich folks paid back, but not entirely. And that was where Tiberius stepped in because he had to bail out the rich in order for this whole thing not to collapse. There, there, was, right. there was a huge domino effect here. <laughs> of course, now, in the midst of this, you know, Jesus is a problematic figure for the Romans um, in this tiny little protectorate called Israel um, on the, you know, on the Mediterranean. But the whole Roman Empire back in Rome is really dealing with this financial crisis that's brought on, um, you know, frankly, by greed and political ambition. Uh, Bill English and I are going to return to this conversation. We're going to talk, uh, we might just, we might speculate a little bit on Uh, on the implications and the applications of what we might learn uh, here today from this lesson from A.D. 33 in Rome. We'll be right back. All right, I'm talking with Bill English about the near collapse uh, of the financial system in Rome in A.D. 33. And we're talking about it, um, well, because frankly, our producer Paul Perot uh, has has a wide variety of interests, and this caught his attention. And so, well, I just so Bill, shared it thinking, you know, throw we, that out there, man. How do we yeah, throw it out there? Yeah. <laughs> and you guys went with that's a thing. <laughs> we, we, you have a great deal of power over us, Paul. So, so Bill English and I are very obediently taking up a subject matter yes, area this morning that um, that we find fascinating. It's yes, fascinating, and it, it has is. lots of it has lots of applications for today. Um, 
I, I here's a few things that just off top of mind, um, Bill, and I know you've sure. got some top of mind things as well. Sure. Uh, here here are some things that I learned. Like, okay. When we talk today, when there's conversations in our culture today about capitalism or there's conversations in our culture today about private property ownership or about mortgages or about lending rates or about the bond market um, or about the way that um, uh, that banks relate to one another or how banks get their how banks are funded and how they get their money. Um, And when we talk about the the desire, at least in our culture, to have some separation between those who are in politics and making political decisions and those who are really running and operating the financial markets, um, why a wall of separation there is important. Um, Conversations about the courts and taking one another to court come to mind in the midst of all of this, um, as does the concept of a government bailout. Like that comes into this conversation as well. So those were some things that emerged to me. What what were some of your top-of-mind reactions um, and responses to this well, I'm going to call it a story. To this headline breaking news story in AD 33. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, by the way, your off-air comment about unintended consequences of laws is well taken. Because uh, I think when these laws were passed uh, 100 years ago from AD 33, so I don't know, BC 77, whatever it was, 67, um, I'm sure that they didn't think that these kinds of things would happen. What came to my mind is that a sudden, and, and these are really pretty straightforward out of Economics 101, a sudden infusion of too much of a good or a service in the market will drive down the price for that good or service. So when the people have to go out and sell the land right away in order to pay back the banks, um, you you flood the market with land that is for sale, that's going to drop the prices of land. Uh, And by extension, when a government subsidizes an economic activity, they drive down the price artificially of that activity. Okay. I could I could create demand for milkshakes if I was in the government just by, just by simply saying uh, everybody gets a free milkshake at Dairy Queen uh, today across the nation. Sign me up. And you <laughs> and you. Would, He's on the ice cream diet, by yeah. the way. He's oh, is he? That. Yeah. Whole it's milk not or a skim thing. milk? It's not a thing. No, it's not a thing. Skim right. milk. Skim no, 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 no. All right. My, I'm going to get my free All milkshake right. at Dairy Queen, and that is going to make me think. That there's a high demand for ice yes. cream and dairy yes. queen. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. okay. Secondly, when the government infuses money into an economy from keeping it uh, from collapsing, it's usually the wealthy who get bailed out. I, I think if you look at just about every bailout we've had in the last 50 or 100 years, it's the wealthy who have benefited most from the bailouts. And, and they're always positioned as bailouts of the middle class or for the poor. But really, it's the wealthy that get bailed out because we need the wealthy to create jobs and create new businesses and really be the linchpin for the economy. Um, let's see, third one, uh, when laws are passed which defy economic laws, the enforcement of these laws will have negative effects. Um, it's not right for people to borrow money and not pay interest on that money. And so if you uh, disallow interest... On money that is borrowed, you're going to just uh, credit's just going to go away. There, there isn't going to be much credit there. And quite frankly, the other thing that came to my mind: without the rich investing their money, job creation is severely limited. And those are some of the things I took away from this story this morning. Yeah, and so we'd have to read a little more deeply into um, into history to see what was happening not only at this elite level of society uh, among the wealthy, the senators and um, and the bankers of the day. Um, but when you look at the negative impact, the uh, the downstream effects of this on 
what we would call the middle class, but but certainly the working poor and the poor, the genuinely poor in the Roman Empire, um, it is devastating. Oh, yeah. It's just utterly devastating. And so, um, you know, uh, let me just say, when you hear Bill English say that, hey, it's not okay to borrow money and not pay interest on it, he and I would also be quick to condemn these schemes where people are expected to pay back exorbitant um, levels of interest that is, uh, you know, that's multiplied um, again and again on top of itself, and that, that that interest is crushing people and pressing them deeper, not only into debt, but into despair and desperation. And yeah, so, 100%. Um, you know, and so I think that when we talk about um, when we talk about lending and when we talk about assets and when we talk about wealth and we talk about job creation and we talk about um, employing others, we need to be mindful that we are all in this together at some level. Like, right, this, the, these yeah. other people are yeah. image bearers of the living God. And um, there are some ways in which I need to live more simply that other people may simply live. Um, but there are also uh, the realities of a market economy um, where if people are doing well financially, they also have the opportunity to do good. Yes. And so, for others. Yes. And so I think those are all conversations that as a Christian, I would want to somehow weave into my contemporary conversation, even about something that is so um, historically seemingly irrelevant. And let me just clarify uh, my, my comment about not paying interest or it, it's wrong to not be able to charge interest. I'm talking about in a commercial context there. If family members want to loan money to other family members at no interest, I have no problem with that. And I, I just, Mom, are I, you listening to that? Oh, just check. Yeah, just Paul, Paul sitting over just here nodding his head yes. So look, I, but but in a, in a business-oriented context for the government to come in and say, as a business, you can't charge interest on money you lend, uh, then why would I lend it in the first place? Because that's, exactly that's right. how banks make money. Banks make money by lending money. And if they don't. Right, yeah, people don't know that. Yeah. We should talk about sometime we should just have like some really basic conversations about how do those people make money? How do financial planners make money? How do banks make money? How do insurance agents make money? I have lots of questions. Do you really? Yeah. I mean, I know how the dairy farmer makes money because that's a product that I sort of like understand. Um, but I don't understand when we're talking about. Oh, we also have a, a, a question from a listener about cryptocurrency. Sure. So Crypto. when you come back next time, can we talk? We can't talk about it today. We're out of time. But. <laughs> This would be the list of questions Carmen has on her mind in 2020 for Bill English. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll get to them. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. man. Hey, thanks right. for today. You bet. All take right. Care. We, we got to take a break. We'll be right back.